skiing is demanding. Skiing, downhill skiing, is a very fast twitch, anaerobic kind of activity. So that strength you're getting in your legs, it stands out more when you're doing that type of activity. Downhill skiing is similar to weight training, high-intensity weight training, where you have brief bouts of high-intensity. Hey, Inform Nation, good to be back with you again. Thanks for joining us for Episode 44 of the Inform Fitness Podcast with New York Times bestselling author Adam Zickerman and General Manager of the Manhattan Inform Fitness location, Mike Rogers. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network, and at the time of this recording, we are smack dab in the middle of the 2018 Winter Olympics, and a lot of us are camped out in front of the TV cheering on the Americans in their favorite winter sports, like ice hockey, figure skating, snowboarding, and skiing, just to name a few while others are actually headed out to the ice or to the slopes themselves. So how does all this tie into a podcast about slow-motion, high-intensity strength training? Well, though you may not find Olympic athletes training at the several Inform Fitness locations across the U.S., Adam and Mike have heard numerous reports from their clients how the Power of 10 protocol has shown significant results to improve a skier's performance and endurance while enjoying their time on the mountain. Every year... We receive testimonials about how this 20-minute workout really changes our lives. And uh, one of the common ones I get is from downhill skiers. Uh, it's, it's February now, and perhaps it's too late uh, to get the skiers this season, but I think we need to address it. And We've still got I, spring skiing coming up. That's right. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, Depends on where you are. Somewhere right? in the world, you're skiing somewhere. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That's right. You know, if you go down to South America you, in, in, during our summer, you can still ski in Santiago, Chile. Exactly. So I guess this is relevant sport. no matter what year we're doing this, okay? and uh, <laughs> or, or what time of the year. But you have a lot of skiers. drinking alcohol at 6 o'clock somewhere. And in this podcast, I'm I'm going to be the questioner and I'm going to, I'm going to interview Adam about, about, and I'll be the obliger. The obliger. <laughs> That's exactly. right. Gretchen be proud. <laughs> I'll, be the, I'll, I'll be the upholder. If you don't know what I meant by that, check out our podcast with Gretchen Rubin. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but the, the big things are that we want to think about are why does it make such a profound difference for skiers performance? Uh, why is strength training so important for skiers? And, uh, and why does this form of weight training, the power of 10, why does that take it to a much higher level? First of all, Adam, you used to ski, but now you're a snowboarder, right? I went to the dark side. Mm. Mm-hmm. How, how, long, how long did you ski for, by the way? It's about 13, 14 years old. It was right after my bar mitzvah. I took one of those high school group trips. And uh, I was skiing every year till I was uh, like 40. And for the last 13 years, I've been snowboarding. I haven't looked back. What was that transition yeah. like? I mean, it, it's it's really, a, a, I would assume, completely different. T- it technique. is completely different. And uh, I spent five days literally on my butt. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was probably, which which amounted to probably 7,500 push-ups. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Getting back that's, up. That's how you get up. I mean, like you're just doing push-ups just to get yourself up off the ground. You're right. doing, I mean, so, you know, it's, we can make this relevant to, to what we're about to talk about, which is, you know, I was, was only because I was in really uh, good shape that I was actually able to withstand the the brutal nature of learning how to snowboard. Matter of fact, so many middle-aged adults have talked to me about possibly taking up snowboarding or talking to me about they tried taking up snowboarding at a later age. And quite honestly, a lot of people have given up because it's just too hard to kind of transition because they just couldn't. They couldn't get up after a while. They were, they were, they were really too weak to c- just continue 
to learn because you fall so much until you finally get the hang of it. And once you get the hang of it, the learning curve, it's, it's actually kind of easier than skiing. Again, you know, I, I skied a long time and I was, you know, an advanced skier, but, but I wasn't, I was doing everything I was going to do on skiing. I was not a great skier. I was a very good skier, but not a great skier. And uh, I just kind of felt like I wanted to try something new. And I was I was challenged to do that by somebody who invited me to their place at Sun Valley. And like, he said, listen, you can stay at my place, but you're going to snowboard. I'm like, that's a deal. And mm-hmm. that's how it happened. Anyway, so um, I really owe me being in really good shape to, to being able to endure all the falling uh, that I endured, you know, for, for five days until that I guy was, by the way, 60 when he started snowboarding. That other guy <laughs> I invited him. It's true. He started, he was Seriously. a skier too. He went to the other side, you know, the, the, but you know, getting back on track, the reason yeah. why this piqued my interest and why I wanted to talk about this today is because over the years, uh, we have heard so many rants and raves about people who, you know, they started our, the power of 10 and they'd come here, they'd work out for three months or four months, and then they'd go and do skiing as they do every year. And and I'm not kidding, I've heard this at least 15 or 20 times over the years with this expression, night and day. They said it's literally night and day from the last time they went skiing to this time. And they said there's no, there, that was the major change they did was our type of, uh, of strength training. So that's why I wanted to focus on why strength training helps for skiing and what specifically about the power of 10 really, really can take it to the next level. And Mike, before we go down that road, you said that it's night and day. Is it night and day in their technique or in how they respond to strength falling? and endurance, or strength like and their, endurance. their ability to, uh, to, uh, spend more time out there, gotcha. uh, feel like they, they can actually uh, spend more time on the mountain and, uh, just a level of stability to do the specific task. I haven't heard it from snowboarders most of our clients are skiers mm-hmm. but uh you know we'll talk to adam about that as we as we go but um adam i'm not crazy though i mean like i'm not the only one who's heard this no i mean i've heard it over the years so many times i mean again if they started with us in the off season and then ski season comes along and then they come back they're like holy cow i've never felt so good on a slopes before and they're 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 you know weekend warriors they're people that ski you know three four times a year maybe so uh, they know how they feel usually after the, a day of skiing. And they come back saying, I just had more stamina than I ever had. And this whole topic speaks to the idea of thinking that you need to do conventional cardio for this type of thing versus strength training. And it's really all about what our interview with Dr. Gabala was about, all right, the, the, the one-minute workout. Uh, again, intensity is what gives us our endurance, as Dr. Gabala has found out in his research. And what we're finding out anecdotally with our clients that are doing this and then going skiing at high altitude, by the way. Uh, so you have that adjustment mm-hmm. to deal with. And we're going to talk about that because actually a high-intensity training actually can help you with high altitude. Just the way your body adjusts at high altitude, high-intensity training actually has that same effect, uh, which we'll get into. But again, this is all because their muscles and their energy systems, if you will, are primed for this activity even though they haven't skied in a year. But their legs are getting really strong, and they have an ability to utilize energy better than if they weren't training. Because the reason we bonk when we go skiing after not, you know, not working out and going to high altitudes is our body, is not, our body has to use all kinds of energy sources that you're not using when you're just sedentary at sea level. But if you're doing high-intensity training, those energy systems are being utilized and primed. 
So when you go up to high altitude, it's already primed, and you don't have to adjust anymore. It's done. It's been well, done. Well, and let's 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 we're gonna get into that, but like first, let's get into strength, okay, mm-hmm. and fitness. What we do, and uh, first of all, uh, let's relate it to skiing. What postures, what positions are involved in skiing, and inevitably, what muscles are we using when we're skiing? What's involved? Well, it's a full body. It's a full body thing, but obviously, your your quads. I mean. Your lower back and your quads. Uh, you, you're constantly just squatting the whole time down the mountain, mm-hmm. which is your glutes and your quadriceps and your hamstrings to an extent. And obviously, really strong quads and legs are going to help you a lot. And that's partly what's happening here. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I was. You're, I, you are getting really strong. And what we do here, we're doing leg presses, we're doing squats, doing leg extensions, we're doing hamstring curls. These are the movements that strengthen your legs. So that's the answer to that succinctly yeah i mean like that's i mean inevitably i was going to lead you into uh are are we recruiting core muscles and Mm -hmm. what about upper body as you said before you know you're you know you have to push yourself up when you fall down maybe you have to withstand a fall you know uh and you know have the upper body strength to to fall a little bit better you know or a little bit more efficiently or just have the strength to not fall on your shoulder or your head, for example. But um, yeah, I mean the full, the whole body is involved in the skiing. There's no doubt about it, especially your core. I mean, you're twisting, you're torquing your body, you're pivoting around your hips. You know, it, it's a full body exercise. But you know, it's in, interestingly though, the better you are at skiing, the less effort it becomes because you're better at it. You become much more skilled at being efficient and, and not straining your muscles as much. Unless, of course, you're doing you know pure mogul runs, uh, which there's no way around <laughs> around that. Yeah. You really got to use your body. But yeah, you know the testimonials that I've heard over the years, going back to what I said before, was usually all, these are very experienced skiers, people who already yeah. they're not taking lessons. They've already have the technique down. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it for a long time. And when I said night and day before, they said it's unbelievable how much stronger I feel. And we're talking fifty year olds, sixty year olds. Uh, and even, you know, 70 year olds who are telling me this stuff. So, and that's the reason why uh, we want to like, uh, tackle it, but do we have to consider balance or the, you know, the ability to maintain our center of gravity? And is there anything, uh, from a fitness perspective that we should attack in order to address that idea? The short answer is, I don't think so. I really don't think so. It's a controversial answer and question. I mean, you have training places and philosophies all over the place mentioning that you need to uh, work on your balance, work on one leg and shifting and, and mimic the sport of skiing by using those slides that they have going back and forth and all, ki- all kinds of things like that. There's a big problem with that because the body, that, that skill that you're doing in the gym doesn't transfer from a motor skill point of view to the mountain. So my philosophy has been for a while, and, and, and it stays this way because it hasn't been proven out to be otherwise, quite honestly, and that is just strengthen strengthen your body and then if you want to become a better skier a better nuanced skier you got to ski there's no way around that you have to ski so the combination of strength training in the gym where you're not doing anything to mimic skiing because there is no way to really mimic skiing not exactly and that's what it has to be it has to be exactly that because anything you do that looks like skiing is it's just not going to prepare you motor skill wise for the actual thing to the brain, it's completely different, even though to you it seems similar, but to the brain it's a completely different activity. And this has been tested, and up until now, it, it still hasn't been proven out. So all these ideas that you should do it is really based on anecdotal or just a belief that it just has to be true, because it doesn't make sense that it's not true. But just because you have a belief and it makes sense doesn't mean it's actually true. I mean, that's why you have scientific methods, because a lot of these 
instincts that we have are, are very often proven wrong when, when properly tested. So what I think should be done is safe strength training for all the muscles involved, according to the muscle and joint function, and then go do your sport, in this case, ski. And the reason people are saying they're feeling really good is because they just have that general strength. They already have the skills. They might, if they're only skiing, you know, if they're not living in Colorado and not skiing that much, you know, they rely on their skills they develop. You know, once you ride a bike, you don't forget, right? So, you know, once you're a good skier, they can tell that, wow, you know, usually when I ski for the first time of the year, I, I got to quit by one o'clock. Now I'm lasting until two, three o'clock. The next day I can actually go back out again the next day, you know. I'm noticing a difference, how I can really hang in there a lot longer. A story that I experienced when my brother got married, he got, he got married up in Aspen, and uh, we went mountain biking. And I here I am mountain biking sea level, and then we go up there, I think Aspen's like 8,000, 9,000 feet up. And these Colorado guys are inviting me to go mountain biking with them. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, uh, you know I, I'm... I'm here I am, you know, riding these little, little Catskill Hills, you know, in New York. And now I got to go these real mountains at 8,000 feet. I said, all right, I'll try it. You know, I'm not one to turn down a challenge like that. So I went to my amazement. I hung in there three quarters of the way before three quarters of the ride. I was right there with them. I couldn't believe it. I did bonk at the end, but like all of them were amazed. I hung in there with them as long as I did. There's no doubt in my mind. The reason was because I've prepared at sea level. I was strength training. I was doing a lot of strength training, as I always did. And I was riding, but that was more the skill than anything else. And my body is prepped to work at, at high altitude as a result of the high-intensity training. That sort of leads us into endurance. And, you know, like yeah. I kind of want to sort of differentiate between uh, the word strength and endurance. I think sometimes this gets confused among a lot of people, including trainers, yeah, strength and, is kind of like power, right? You can how much you can lift at one time, real explosive movements, really how much can you know? Uh, that that's strength, you know. Could you could you lift your luggage into the overhead or not? It takes strength. How much strength do you have? How heavy can how heavy can you lift a bag? How heavy can that bag be before you can not lift it over your head? That's strength. But endurance is more like how long can you last? And that comes again from really high intensity strength training, as again the the episode with Martin Gabala was about. One minute workout. It was a high intensity workout for a very brief period of time that created some physiological change that gave you endurance. All right. He noticed, and we noticed, that just because the workouts are very short but intense, you can build endurance, meaning you can last longer for an activity. Well, how'd that happen? Because you're not doing endurance training, you're only doing brief high intensity training. So, how did you build endurance from doing something very brief? Well, because endurance comes from not doing steady-state act activities for a long period of time. It comes from your body being able to utilize different sources of energy. When you are not trained, when you're not doing high-intensity exercise, your body is pretty much using you know, uh, glycolysis and aerobic metabolism through the Krebs cycle on a regular basis. And these are our most common ways of using energy. But when you are doing high-intensity exercise and when you are doing endurance athletics, what happens is your demands exceed the capabilities of just glycolysis and the Krebs cycle, are two main ways of producing energy. But when you're doing high-intensity exercise, your body starts realizing, oh, shoot, my current ways of creating energy, glycolysis and the Krebs cycle, are not adequate enough. So the body says, okay, 
No problem. Because we have other ways of getting energy. Except it's going to take me a little time to get that up to snow. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're relying on oil heat in your house, but it gets really cold. And now you have to start using a fireplace in, on top of the oil heat. But the thing is, you don't have any wood. So you have to go get wood because you haven't used your fireplace in like 10 years. But now, you know, it's getting cold this winter, right? All of a sudden, like, hey, maybe we should use our fireplace. But you haven't used it in 10 years. So you have to go clean it out. You got to get the chimney sweep in there. You got to go cut some wood or buy some wood, depending upon where you live. And that might take some time to get that up to snuff. Well, your body, if they're not using these other energy systems for years, and all of a sudden you're requiring the body to do these endurance activities, your body will have to, like, say, okay, we got to incorporate some more energy systems. So that's what happens. When you're doing high-intensity exercise and you're exceeding the limits of your current energy suppliers, the Krebs cycle and glycolysis, which work very closely together, then all of a sudden other things start developing that your body is. So really endurance comes from, Mike, endurance comes from your body helping out and supporting your basic energy system. All right? It's adding to and, and helping out the Krebs cycle and glycolysis. Just like the fireplace kind of helps, adds more heat to your to your house from because the oil heat is just not cutting it. Right. And those systems, you know, we can get into biochemistry. It's called the core, you know, the core recycle fatty. Your body gets better at metabolizing fats. So, like, if you're not really working out high intensity, and you're also eating maybe a higher carbohydrate diet, your body is not using fat for fuel. And the thing is, your body just doesn't all of a sudden start using fat for fuel body has to prepare for that. There are enzymes, special enzymes that are needed to burn fat for fuel. So if your body isn't needing fat for fuel, they don't create the enzymes for it. So all of a sudden, you go on a low-carbohydrate diet, you start doing high-intensity exercise, your body's like, whoa, I need to start using fat for fuel. So next thing you know, it starts expressing the genes to create the enzymes that are necessary for fat metabolism. It starts expressing for the genes that are responsible for the core recycle which is another metabolic system that utilizes uh, lactic acid. It actually takes lactic acid and turns that into energy, actually. The reason why I was asking is like, uh, and I want to go back to skiing in general here, mm. okay? I want to get back to that specificity because, like, I have, we have cyclists, we have runners, we have tennis players, we have bikers, we have swimmers, we have so many people who, uh, who do all different types of sports. They all generally have, they report that their cycling is better, their golf is better, their running is better, all that kind of stuff. Right. But it's not as dramatic as skiing. It's not as dramatic. The people like the testimonials are significantly higher among skiers. And what I'm talking about is what's the difference between the endurance, the ability to last longer on the mountain versus the ability to last longer on a bike or, or, or noticing that the st your strength training has made a difference on the bike versus your strength training has made a difference for skiing. Because I think when you're doing like biking or doing things like that, you're not going all out. You know, you're, you're it's, it's a nice stroll, so you don't notice them. But when you're skiing and you're going downhill skiing and you and you're challenging yourself for about two minutes, you are like doing high intensity exercise. You know, like you're you're pushing yourself. Your your thighs catch on fire right away. But when you're biking, unless you're going up hills and you're really pushing yourself, you're just strolling around. So I don't think you notice as much. If you skiing is demanding, skiing downhill skiing is a very fast twitch anaerobic kind of activity so that strength that you're getting in your legs you know i think uh it stands out more when you're doing that type of activity uh, you know downhill skiing is similar to weight training high intensity weight training where you have brief bouts of high intensity is, uh, there, is there a difference though between sustaining like a squat position versus mm -hmm. cycling your legs 
like for the amount of time. Say like you're actually cycling your legs at a medium to high level of intensity versus sustaining like a squat or like, you know, variations of a squat, like three quarters of a squat, half of a squat, three quarters of a squat, half of a squat. Like what I'm imagining, you're sustaining a posture that's similar to that while going down the mountain. And is there a difference between that versus spinning your legs? No. There's no difference. The differences that you find are, are very specific adaptations for each movement. You know, again, endurance is not just about strength. Endurance is not just about having our energy systems support our basic energy systems. That's part of it, right? Definitely getting stronger, pushing your energy systems, now having better ability to metabolize fats, having better abilities to have your hemoglobin let go of oxygen easier. Uh, these are all things that adapt to high-intensity exercise to, to help with endurance. But that's not the only things that need to adapt. You also have to practice that actual activity. So building endurance, uh, we have to be careful, really comes from motor skill development also. And no exercise program is ever going to be able to make up for that. You have to do that also. So if you want to build endurance for biking, there, there are many things you have to do. You have to do high-intensity interval training, uh, to push those energy systems and develop those extra energy systems. Uh, diet might have to do with it. Sleep might have to do with it. Timing, uh, the way you train, how often you ride the bike, and then skill development. Are you, are you riding the bike properly? Are you learning how to become a more efficient bike rider? All these things play into overall endurance. So to say that strength training and strength training alone is going to help endurance is ignoring all these other factors, and you can't ignore those factors. But again, I think skiing, downhill skiing, is more of an anaerobic kind of high-intensity experience versus the other things you're talking about, bike riding. Is it closer jogging. to like strength training than it is uh, yeah. riding a bike? Downhill skiing is closer to high-intensity exercise than biking or even tennis. I mean, you're like skiing, you're, you're, doing, you're doing 100 squats in a row when you're skiing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not doing, when you're biking, if you're not, if you're doing steady state cardio or steady state biking, you're not pushing your energy systems like that. So mm -hmm. you're not going to hear those. But I bet you if somebody took up uh, criterion bike riding where you're sprinting around a track really mm -hmm. hard and there's no brakes, not I bet they would say mm -hmm. that strength training has helped them for that. I bet you'd hear a similar response because that's more similar to high intensity pushing yourself uh, you know, to the max. All right. Well, on top of all of that, Adam, what about altitude? We, you mentioned altitude a little bit earlier. Mm. Does strength training prepare us for altitude? Well, that's, this is really interesting. And I don't want to get too much into weeds and biochemistry. When you do high-intensity training, your body has to adapt to the extreme amount of lactic acid or, or acid that actually gets created. And your body has to deal with that. If your body doesn't deal with that acid, it becomes a very dangerous situation. So one way, what happens is, amazingly, the body... All right. Is that, are you talking about CO2 uh, when you say acid? Yes, One exactly. Of the, or, uh, hydrogen ions that come from mm -hmm. the metabolism of, of energy. Yes, exactly. All right. So CO2 is an acid. It's actually specifically called a Lewis acid if you want to get really technical. All right. So, uh, yes, yeah, CO2 is an acid, and it's, that's expelled out, right? So, this, so high CO2, chronic high CO2 as a result of high-intensity exercise. Muscles working. Right. All right. What happens is your body starts creating... Some molecules that will bind with your red blood cells. Now, your red blood cells are what carry oxygen around. All right now, red blood cells have a very high affinity for oxygen. And when you're at high altitude, where oxygen is very low, 
your body creates this molecule that binds with hemoglobin, so it makes it easier for the hemoglobin to let go of the oxygen. All right, so when you go up to high altitude and people feel really weird when they first get up there, because their body didn't create this, this molecule yet. So it's high altitude, low amount of oxygen, in other words, much less oxygen up there than there is at sea level. So your hemoglobin is not letting go of the oxygen fast enough because there there's hardly any oxygen up there. So what your body does is create this molecule. It takes time. Again, it, the body just doesn't have it there if it's not using it on a regular basis. So it has to create it. That's why it takes a couple of days to adjust because your body has to create this molecule. All right. So the body takes time to create this molecule. Once that molecule is created and that molecule binds with our hemoglobin, now your hemoglobin is letting go of oxygen easier to the tissues that need it and you don't feel weird anymore. All right. So your oxygen delivery is improved as a result of your body reacting to high altitude. Now, when you do high-intensity exercise, you're creating the same problem. You're creating an oxygen debt. And when you're working on a regular basis with high-intensity exercise, even though you're at sea level, your body is creating that molecule also. So our clients, when they do high-intensity exercise, this molecule is actually there when they go to high-altitude skiing. They don't have to adjust because it's already there from their high-intensity training. I think this actually answers or gets closer to answering the question that I had before. You know, why? Well, again, in it's part. Because it's all well, think, part. think about yeah. endurance is about uh, usually about oxygen transfer, oxygen uptake, and your ability to do it efficiently. Yes. Of which if... And if I say you, in part because not only are you improving your energy systems, right, and you're improving your ability to metabolize fast for fuel and, and taking, taking some of the load off of the Krebs cycle and glycolysis, you have the Cori cycle, which takes that load off, and you have this, mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, this molecule being created that it's called the Bohr effect. If you want to, if you want to be specific, it's B O H R. B O H R, the Bohr effect, and this is what happens. All right, when uh, again the Bohr effect shows that when you have high CO2, you know what happens is your body will produce this molecule that will bind with hemoglobin to make it easier to transport oxygen to the tissues, and that's another tool that the body uses to improve endurance. Yes, but it's not just that. It's all those things combined. High-intensity exercise affects all these things, plus more. You know, uh, your ability to use, utilize glucose and all kinds of things change when, you're when you subject yourself periodically but consistently to high-intensity exercise. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have your ability to metabolize, metabolize fats better when you go to high-altitude skiing. You have the ability to release oxygen to the cells better because of the high intensity training. And these are all different things that are occurring at the same time. Yeah. So, so basically I think this is a, we'll wrap it up after this, but the last thing uh, I think, and so we're, we're, we're answering the, the questions about strength training and we know that high intensity training really helps all these things for skiing and for a lot Your of other legs sports are stronger. Well. That's the other thing, the but, obvious one, <laughs> but the, uh, but honestly, like I, I, you know, I, I think we'd be remiss without just mentioning also, why is the power of 10 take it to the next level? Because there are tons of other high-intensity exercise uh, modalities out there. But I think one of the things is uh, you don't want to be injured when you're, getting, when you're going out there. And this is the high-intensity exercise, which really, I think, considers safety. Um, whereas you I just think, answered so, the question. Yeah. You asked me, yeah, that's, yeah. that was, that was my answer. I mean, what, right. why is power of 10? Why is our version of high intensity exercise, which is basically lifting weights at a slower pace to prevent the forces that cause injury. Uh, we're avoiding the extreme ranges of motion. Uh, we're doing things according to muscle and joint function. We're modulating, uh, intensity with rest. We're doing all those things. So you don't get injured. So you're not overtrained or undertrained. 
you're you're primed and you're just really strong with and you're not your joints aren't compromised. Thanks, Adam and Mike. Strength and endurance, both on and off the slopes, for a mere 20 minutes of intense strength training a week. That's a small price to pay to lead the kind of active life you want to lead. We've been telling you about it for 44 episodes here on the Informed Fitness Podcast. For those of you who reside near Manhattan, Port Washington, Denville, Burbank, Boulder, Leesburg, and Reston, we have good news for you. At the time of this recording, which is in February of 2018, there's a free session waiting for you at informfitness.com. Just click the Try Us Free button right there on the homepage, fill out the form, pick your location, and enjoy a slow-motion, high-intensity, full-body workout in just 20 minutes for free. I promise you'll feel the difference after one workout. The workout is intense, but it's sustainable for those of us with busy schedules, which just about covers all of us, doesn't it? But most importantly, it's effective. I know this because I've been enjoying this workout for almost two years now. If you don't live near an informed fitness, you can pick up Adam's book, Power of 10, The Once-A-Week Slow-Motion Fitness Revolution. It's just one click away and available at Amazon. For less than 15 bucks, Adam explains everything in this easy-to-read book and exercises that you can do in your own home. We'll have a link to Adam's book in the show notes. Okay, we've said many times here in the podcast that you can't out-exercise a bad diet. You may be building washboard abs, but you probably won't be able to see them underneath that layer of you-know-what. So next week, Mike and Adam reveal some very small nutritional changes that you can make that will yield some really great results quickly that support the building of muscle and burning the fat that covers the muscle up. So make sure you're with us next week here on the Informed Fitness Podcast. For Adam Zickerman and Mike Rogers, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.